This morning, I want to speak a word to you that actually came from a prophetic word that I gave to a group of pastors about a week or so ago. And I didn't realize even what it meant until I began to study it. And God spoke during that time that to not miss the wind in the whirlwind in this moment. The wind in the whirlwind. And that's the title of this message today, Finding God in Turbulent Times. How many of you know we live in a kind of a strange moment? Come on. And I'm not just talking about what you read and, and everything that's bombarding our senses right now around this election. I'm talking about some things that are going on even around personal lives. You know, being a pastor here and being in, in, in touch with people, hearing about what's going on, there's some whirlwinds that are blowing around some lives right now. So if, if you would, turn in your Bible to the book of 1 Kings chapter 19, and that's where we'll be this morning. But to give you some context, we have to go back to chapter 18. Of course, this is the story of the prophet Elijah. Now, Elijah is one of the central figures in Scripture, one of the three dudes that show up on the Mount of Transfiguration. In short, Elijah is the man. 1 Kings 17, the first thing we see him doing is shutting off rain. Let me tell you, anybody that can speak to nature and make it move, they pretty much got it going on. Would you agree with that? I mean, he basically said, okay, no rain, no dew on the land until I say so. I'm like, yes, sir. I mean, anybody that can do that got it going on. 1 Kings 18, what we find here is Ahab, the king of Israel, and, Je and Elijah in a confrontation. Now, you can imagine after three, three and a half years of no rain, I mean, the food's expensive in the grocery store. If there's even anything to buy in the grocery store, I mean, folks are mad. The economy is wrecked. They're blaming Ahab. Ahab is blaming Elijah. And they had this confrontation. And Elijah says, okay, fine. Let's bring it. Bring, bring your A game. Bring all of this false religion and false prophets up to Mount Carmel, and we're going to find out today who God in Israel is. Maybe some of you remember this story. Really cool story. The prophets of Baal do their little thing, their little worship service. Nothing happens. Elijah gets up there as the, as the sole lone representative of God in this moment. Fire falls out of heaven. The sacrifice that Elijah had prepared on that altar is consumed. The prophets of Baal are slain. It is quite a moment. And now we get to 1 Kings 19. Now, Jezebel is Ahab's wife. Now, Jezebel is an interesting lady. And that's preacher term for this one bad woman. <laughs> now, Ahab, how do I say this? Jezebel kind of ran the household, just like she ran the nation. Through intimidation, through spiritual idolatry, through these Baal prophets, this tough woman. And Ahab comes back and tells Jezebel everything that Elijah did. And, th and this is what he did. And this is what he did. And, 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 and Jezebel's like, okay, okay, A, it's, it's fine. I see you're upset. And she sends word to Elijah. She says, you got 24 hours. I'm coming for you, and I'm going to kill you. I mean, this is like the old west. You with me? You, go, you got till sundown to get out of town. 
but she gives him 24 hours. Now, this is amazing. This is the same Elijah that faced off against Ahab just a day before, took on all of these false prophets with probably thousands of people looking on. One woman says, I'm coming for you. And he takes off like a little girl. Now, ladies, I'm not trying. Just, just don't, don't, don't get all weird on me here, all right? But I mean, takes off. And he runs out, it says, into the desert. Goes to Beersheba. He leaves his servant there. He heads out into the desert. He finds himself a broom tree, crawls under it, and just says, I want to die. I want to die. You ever felt that way? God, you're just dealing with me so bad. Just kill me. Moses had one of those moments too. So it's not a completely unusual prayer. Falls asleep. Angel wakes him up, says, you need to eat. Angel had baked him a loaf of bread. Maybe it was a funnel cake. Who knows what it was? Something, <laughs> something divine going on there. Some water in the middle of the desert. And he says, strengthened by that food, he said he headed into the desert for 40 days. Now, I don't know what was in that bread, but it was some kind of wonder bread that builds strong bodies in 12 ways. Because all I know is that there we are, 40 days, and he shows up at Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And he's there, and God says, what are you doing here? Why, why are you here? And Elijah goes into this, well, you know, I'm the only prophet left, and I've done all this, and now they've come to kill me, and then it all breaks loose. Fire, wind, earthquake, tremendous manifestations begin to happen. And it says that God wasn't in any of those, but after they had passed, it says in a gentle breeze, God began to speak to Elijah. And he asked him the same question the second time. Why are you here? And Elijah launches into the same spiel he did before. I'm the only one of your prophets left. I'm the man. I've done all this stuff, this, that, and the other. And God says, okay, fine. Go back the way you came. Now, that's not what he was really wanting to hear in this moment. Go back the way you came. And he gives him specific instructions, both politically and spiritually as to what to do. And he also says one other thing to Elijah before he leaves. Is that, and by the way, son, you're not the only one. There's 7,000 more just like you who have not bowed to the Baals. Now, I want to unpack this passage this morning in the light of where we are, not only as a church in this nation in this moment, where, but where many of you have found yourselves in this moment. And one, maybe you have found yourself under threat. I don't know about you, but I have heard the voice of the enemy come to me and say, I'm going to kill you. Anybody ever heard that? Usually it's between 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. When you can barely get out and in the name of Jesus. You ever been caught in one of those moments? And you're just like, I need me a verse to quote. I... In the name of, and I mean, you just, and the enemy is coming after you. He says, I'm coming for your wife. I'm coming for your kids. I'm coming for you. So we all know what that sense of the threat 
feels like, correct? Now, this is interesting, is that if Jezebel had been serious about killing him, she wouldn't have warned him. She would have just had somebody take him out. That's how it's done. But she wanted the same way that Elijah had discredited her ministry, her authority, and these prophets of Baal. She wanted to publicly discredit Elijah and his God. And we know what that threat does. Now, we would all love to think when we're threatened. They say that when folk get threatened, that one or two things comes out. You fight or flight. Heard that? Now, we would all like to think that when we get threatened, come on, men. Oh, yeah. I'm going to fight. Bring it. And that's exactly what we saw Elijah doing. Oh, yeah. I'm here. Bring your best up here. We're going to find out today. I mean, it was, he was all, you know, he was... He had all that going on. I know I'm not properly complected to do that, but just, just work with me here for a moment, all right? Just work with me for a moment, all right? But fascinating that in that moment, he's ready to fight, but, but, but a day later, this woman says, I'm coming for you, and he's taking off. How many of us are very much the same way? I mean, Elijah's got just one day between this amazing moment of watching fire fall from heaven. How many men have seen that as an act of approval of their worship and then just and completely forgets it in the light of this threat? How many of us? Many times we come in here and we sing about the mercies of God. We sing about God's faithfulness in our life, and yet we come under threat and we do the same thing. How quickly we forget and begin to take off under threat. Amazing. And we run away from the conflict. And we run away, and invariably, what do we want to do? We want to get away from folk. Now, it's real interesting to me how many times as God has called us to be together, we get in a moment of stress, we get in a moment of distress, and all of a sudden, we just want to get in our desert. We just want to, just leave me alone. Just leave me alone. And this is exactly where he runs, into the desert. Now, deserts are amazing places. They're amazing places. I mean, there are not a lot of distractions in the desert. Can we all agree with that? I mean, you're not out there and trying to figure out between Burger King and McDonald's or a duck donut or a funnel cake or, you know, which of your, which of your 200 channels you're going to watch or which kitty cat video to pull up on YouTube. I mean, you just don't have all those distractions in the desert. And yet the desert is a place that reveals a couple of things. One, it gives you time to think about you. Gives you time for a lot of reflection, but second, it gives an opportunity for God to reveal Himself in some very unique ways. Now we find that there was a 40-day journey from Beersheba to Mount Horeb. 40 days. Now, if Elijah had been on his game, it was only a 10-day trip. I mean, if he had just gotten on with it, it was 10 days, but something else was going on. What did he do with the extra 30 days? I mean, he's just kind of wandering around, just kind of depressed, you know, dragging around. And 40 days wandering around has a lot of biblical significance. 
Israel wandering around for 40 years in the desert. Moses up on that same mountain. We'll talk about that in a moment. Praying and fasting, waiting for God to speak. But it's in the desert that many times, again, God shows himself. Jesus being led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil prior to being released into public ministry. Elijah, once again, in the desert, the provision of God with the, the, with the cake and the water. We see this picture in Revelation chapter 12, verse 6. It's a picture of a woman giving birth, giving birth to something holy and divine and under threat. And it said she fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of. Let me also say this. Many of you are on the verge of birthing some of the greatest moments in your entire life. And yet you feel like you're being pursued by the devil. But let me just tell you, there's a place prepared for you in the desert where God will care for you in this moment. Anything. Anything of divine conception and of divine birthing will always come under demonic assault. And many times it's in the desert that God makes protection and preparation for us. Think about this for a moment. Postpartum depression. New mama, went, new mama was at it. Yep. And we think about that and the doctors say, oh, well, you know, it's just a body readjusting and it's just hormones and all of this, that, and the other. But Look at what we just described in the natural, which many times the greatest moment in a woman's life followed by this moment of depression. Isn't that interesting? And this is exactly where Elijah has found himself. This is why this attack is different than the one he had experienced just a few weeks earlier. And then he finds himself on the mountain of God. I'm going to church. I'm going to find God. I'm going to get me some Jesus. I'm going to get Pastor Tim. I'm going to get Tiffany and Robert to lead me. Hallelujah. Smack if you're Pentecostal. <laughs> going to find, I'm going to get on that mountain. Fascinating. And God says, why are you here? What do you mean, why am I here? This is the mountain of God. I've come to find you. Oh, really? Mount Horeb is just another name for, the, for Mount Sinai. A lot of historical things happened on that mountain. Another guy kind of went up there. God spoke to him, gave him some things called the Ten Commandments. Pastor Danelle was trying to go there today with the second commandment of thou shalt have a funnel cake. You know, she was kind of <laughs> reworking it, you know, in a modern, there you go. And it says that Elijah found that mountain and he went into the cave. You know, many people, many scholars think that cave was in reality the cleft of the rock where God hid Moses when he passed by. Elijah finds this very same spot. And he asks him, why are you here? And the implication now, this is an omniscient God. God knows everything. He's known everything. Why would he be asking this? One, he wanted Elisha, Elijah to say it out of his own mouth so he could hear what he was saying. Secondly, he wanted you and I to hear it. And so Elijah begins to give him his resume. I've been very zealous for the Lord. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Shundai, blazer, Lord, grace. 
I mean, he's given God. I mean, he's given, God, I've done all these things. Yet, we've done all, I've done all the right things, God, but I'm being horribly persecuted. I've read my Bible once a week, just like Pastor Brett told me. <laughs> Tithes, mostly. I've shown up, God, I've done all these things at your command. And now look at my life. My marriage is still busted. My employer still hates me. And we look at all this and we find ourselves in a moment exactly like Elijah found himself. God, I've done all these things. This ain't working. This is breaking down for me. This doesn't work. And where he could stand up to Ahab, where he could stand up, to those false prophets, what he couldn't bear up under was his own disillusionment in his own soul. It wasn't just the fear of this woman. It was everything going on on the inside of him that caused him to run in this moment. John the Baptist. I mean, John is, talk about the man. Jesus said about John, no greater prophet. How would you like to have that on your business card? John the Baptist, quote, no greater prophet, unquote, Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, that wouldn't be bad for a tagline. And yet, here's John, gone out, eating bugs, worn weird clothes, out in the wilderness, baptizing folk, feet wrinkling up because he's been in the water all the time, preaching this hard message, people saying he's nuts. Plus, John is fabling. And yet... We find John offended. John's in prison. And why is he in prison? Because of Jesus. That's why John's there. And Jesus can't even muster up a visitor's pass to come see John. Amazing. John said, send a message to Jesus. Are you the one or should we expect someone else? Now, John knew who Jesus was. He identified him when, when Jesus came to be baptized by John. John tried to defer and say, no, 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 no. You should be baptizing me. There was no confusion on John's part who Jesus was. Jesus knew what was going on in John's heart. He sent a message back, tell John, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. Good news is preached. But then he adds a beatitude. Blessed is the man who is not offended by me. Now this isn't the preaching. This isn't the beatitudes of the preaching. This is a little blessing that he adds on the end. Blessed is the man or woman that doesn't become offended with me because I don't do a thing the way they think it should be done. Because the way they've lived their life has not netted and yielded out the results that they were promised. Exactly what Pastor Donnell was sharing in our transition moment this morning. Wow. And then Elijah's there on that mountain. And then the stuff begins to happen. It says this wind came. 
And it says, this wind, it tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks. Now, I don't know how meteorologists classify this one. Category three, Matthew, Sandy. I mean, but how do you characterize a whirlwind that tears rocks to pieces? This has got to be like a category 500 or something like that. That's tearing a mountain apart and tearing rocks to pieces. But what's fascinating, even this manifestation, Scripture says God wasn't in it. Stay with me. Then it says there was an earthquake. There was just an earthquake in Italy that happened this morning or last night. Happens around the world. Earthquakes are frightening things. But it says God wasn't in that earthquake. How many of you know that when an earthquake comes and things begin to shake, you begin to find out how good your building is? I mean, they, certain places like California, I mean, they, they have to build their buildings to earthquake standards to withstand a certain amount of ground movement. And yet what we find from Scripture, Hebrews says, what can be shaken will be shaken. But one of the ways that you know that it's the kingdom of man rather than the kingdom of heaven is it says we are inheriting a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Guess what? If you're shaking, it's a manifestation of whose kingdom you are believing in. I'm just reading scripture to you. It means if you feel like this right now, it means that somehow you have found yourself transplanted into the kingdom of this world rather than standing on the rock that never moves. There are no seismic activities in that kingdom. And then fire. Fire? Oh, man, fire represents a lot of things. The type of God in Scripture, the Spirit, the fire of the Spirit, the Spirit's fire, approval of God, the fire from heaven falling, consuming Elijah's sacrifice, the disapproval of God. Fire. The consuming fire, God calls himself. A refining fire of Malachi. It goes on. He will be like a refiner's fire. And then it's a testing fire, 1 Corinthians 3. And yet fascinating in all of these manifestations, it says God wasn't in it. Now God was using them. But it says specifically God wasn't in it in it. Now, we've read this passage maybe our entire life. And we can, we can attribute certain of these characteristics to things that God will use in order to get our attention. I mean, somehow a wind, a whirlwind, a hurricane, a typhoon, whatever that thing was that's tearing mountains to pieces, somehow my attention would have been God. An earthquake of the same proportion, fire of the same magnitude. Somehow your attention would have been gotten. Yet in all those demonstrations and God once again showing his power, God's voice and his instructions were still absent as a result. How often do we get so fixated on the situation around us 
that we fail to find God in the midst of them. All we're doing is we're so paralyzed by fear. Ah! That we're screaming so loud. Or the circumstances or the situations are so loud. They're so acute that we miss God in the midst of it. In the pain of your own life, we miss God because God doesn't waste anything. Hear me, saints. Do you realize you can have a demonstration of the power of God without a visitation of God himself? That's a frightening thing. Jesus said, you know, the only reason you want me hanging around is for lunch. You saw that whole loaves and fishes thing, and you think this is going to be every day. Jesus Jesus had a way of of just cutting through the motive. You don't want me. You want what I can provide. You don't want me. You want the power that comes along with it. Simon, trying to buy the gift of God. He's just trying to find a way to add something to his bag of tricks so he can make some more money. He wasn't interested in Jesus. But it was... By moving all of that aside, God spoke. And after the fire, it says it came a gentle whisper. Some other translations say a gentle breeze. And a voice began to speak to him. It's how God speaks. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. God doesn't yell over the stuff. I want you to hear this very clearly. Parents, have you ever, you ever seen a household where all the kids are just going bonkers and bouncing off the wall and screaming and carrying on, and the parents just try to scream above it? Are you listening to me? And you walk in, it's like, whole, oh. And nobody's hearing anything as a result. But it's amazing that... God doesn't yell over it. He just speaks quieter. I've shared this before, but as I've walked with God for a moment, God doesn't get louder. He gets quieter. God, what did you say? You're supposed to be listening. Yeah, but all this doesn't matter. You're supposed to be listening. But I got fires and earthquakes and elections and kids and money. You're supposed to be listening. Because that's how he speaks. What are you doing here? And Elijah tells him his story yet again. And then God begins to speak and give him specific assignments. And this is where I'll end today. He gives him two assignments. One political and one spiritual. He says, I want you to go back the way you came. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not what most of us want to hear today. God, give me a new path. Give me a new wife, a new husband, a new job, a new something. Just get me out of this. Go back the way you came. I don't want to do that. Go back the way you came. It's an amazing thing. And God inserts him right back into the political arena by which he just fled. Here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to go back 
I want you to anoint Hazael, king of Aram, and I want you to anoint Jehu, son of Nibshi, king over Israel. And I want you to go find a little guy named Elisha, and I want you to anoint him as prophet to succeed you. He comes in and he does two things at one time. Now, he has these things working together. It's fascinating. He says, Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. See, God has a plan of how to bring together the governmental and the spiritual in a way that his purposes get accomplished. Hear well. And he told Elijah exactly what to do. You know, there's a lot of consternation right now in our nation. A lot of hand-wringing. Huh? I don't know what to do. Saints, let me tell you what to do. Be a Christian before you're an American. Who do I vote for? It's the wrong question. The real question is, what has God told you to do? Well, I can't hear. Then turn Fox off. (laughs) Turn CNN off. Go on a media blackout and start fasting for the next nine or ten days. And hear from heaven rather than all the din that's going around in the culture right now. I found this passage in Hosea, the eighth chapter. God is speaking to Israel, and he's not real happy in this moment. And here's part of why he's not. It says in Hosea chapter 8, verse 4, they set up kings without my consent, and they chose princes without my approval. And in verse 7, it says they've sown a wind, and they're going to reap a whirlwind. You know, I have no expectations of the world in a moment like this. The world's the world. All they had to do is, fettle, is to peddle fear and fear that fuels prejudice. That's all they got. That really is. And yet you and I are not called to be led by fear, but to be led by faith. As a matter of fact, Scripture says anything that's not proceeding from faith is sin. Are you hearing something here? You know what? I know exactly what I'm going to do a week from Tuesday. You know why? Because I've sought the counsel of heaven. And God has told me what to do. My conscience is clear. And you're like, what, what you going to do? None of your business. <laughs> this last week I picked up this article from one of the leading prophetic voices in our nation. Clearly saying God had told him to endorse his candidate. And I'm thinking, no. God's told me and my my conscience is clear. Because I'm doing what heaven's told me to do. I've quieted all the din in this moment to hear that small voice. Are, are, Are you hearing something here? And many of us, we're running from something rather than being called to something. We're headed to the cave, and God says, come out of the cave. I mean, you heard folks say, well, you know, if so-and-so gets elected, I'm moving to Canada. <laughs> what is it about Canada? First of all, we get jacked up, and we get, I'm moving to Canada. There ain't nothing up there. It's just cold weather. 
And you get there and God's going to say, what are you doing here? Because God's called you and me here right now for this season. You see, God has a divine encounter for you. But not just for the sake of divine encounter. It's in that divine encounter that, yes, God reveals himself. He talks to you about you. But he gives you assignments. He tells you, this is how I want you to navigate in this moment. And I've looked around and I've seen the world. And, but, you know, the thing that has broken my heart has been how the church, and not this church, but the capital C church, has responded. Folk endorsing and then not endorsing and doing this and not doing this based on new information. And I'm thinking, where was your discernment 30 days ago? What has changed in God's opinion or God's attitude about a thing that you somehow, did God change his mind or were you not listening 30 days ago? Hmm. And as God was dealing with Elijah, his own pain and pride and isolation, God deals with us as well. You see, what God wants to let us, see what the enemy wants to do is say, you know what, you are really a special snowflake. You're the only person that's ever had this problem. You're the only person that's ever been tempted like this. You're the only person that has stress in your marriage. You're the only person who can't pay all of his bills at the end of the month. You're the only Christian that sits in this church that struggles like that. And the enemy tells you that. I know because he tells me that. And God says to Elijah, oh, by the way, special snowflake, I've heard your resume twice, and you're not the only one. As a matter of fact, there's 7,000 that I have personally reserved that still are doing it my way. Let me just tell you, saints, we're part of a great church, not just a Grace Covenant, but capital C Church. We're not alone. We don't struggle alone. Don't let the enemy have you do that alone. This is a moment God is calling us out of the cave. You say, I'm not in a cave. Maybe you are emotionally. You've shut down. You've locked down. Something has chased you out of circulation. God is saying, I want you to come out of that cave and go back. Get back into this culture. Get back into the process. Start making spiritual disciples again. Don't worry about all this noise going on out here because I've called you to be something different. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, help us find the wind in the whirlwind. Help us hear your voice through all of the din and the crowd and the clutter. God, I pray for every man or woman here today that is in the process of birthing something of divine origin that feels threatened. God, let them feel a sense of your protection provision in this day. God, all of us could talk about the wonderful testimonies of the past, but how quick it is, God, when we get weary, how we forget, and we just take off running into our self-made desert. God, you're calling us back, calling us back to be with one another, to be with you, to step back into the culture 
to do that which you've called us to do, to be ambassadors of Christ, not just to speak for ourselves, but to be speaking for heaven in moments like this. God, as your people, let us distinguish ourselves in this moment as your people, clear-eyed, clear-headed, full of faith that you are on the throne and that we are inheriting a kingdom that is unshakable.